hello and welcome to Wine Blast. We've got a fascinating episode lined up for you, uh, featuring the latest research hot off the press that is not only intriguing, but also just a little bit controversial. I'm Susie Barry and I'm here with my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards, who is here to help me make sense of it all and to keep my glass topped up. (laughs) Are you not? I know my place. You know, I'm a master of topping up. That's me. Uh, it's the one thing in life I truly excel at. It's Discuss. good to excel at something. Discuss. Oh, you're supposed to contradict me there, but no, never mind. <laughs> I suppose, you know, in a way, um, that's kind of what we're getting into, though, isn't it, in this episode? The kind of, the, what's faintly terrifying and definitely exasperating thought that, you know, for some people, the very notion of being topped up is quite painful. Um, because they find that wine uh, or some wines give them really bad reactions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've wanted to dig deeper into this mm. for quite a while now because we we pretty regularly get questions from people who suffer from headaches, um, flushing, nausea, yeah. rashes, heart mm. palpitations, all those sort of symptoms when they drink wine. Now, we should say that we don't personally suffer from this. We're very lucky in that sense. Um, but we completely understand the the frustration of not just being able to enjoy what we all agree is a delicious drink. Yeah, yeah. And we've actually we've actually felt frustrated ourselves um, that up until now, we haven't really had any proper proper answers, have we? Yeah, no, no. Um, and, and what we, we did, we, we noticed one person um, doing some really interesting research into this, didn't we? She's yeah. Sophie Parker-Thompson, and she's based in New Zealand. Um, and her paper that she's been working on for a while has finally been published and it's fascinating because it kind of sheds really light is. on this really on is. this whole subject doesn't it it's it, yeah. it's and in a way that might be slightly surprising for many people um which we're going to get into but we should add <laughs> at this point that um the title of this episode the undeserved hangover is definitely sophie's brilliant turn of phrase that's her intellectual property which she's very kindly let us use yeah, yeah, for this episode good, but, and, she, okay. and we're going to come on to that just, be, but just before we dive in can yeah, yeah. can i just i just want to say on air happy birthday again oh, for last you. week oh that's very kind <laughs> you went off on a you went off on a long lockdown walk to celebrate yeah. didn't you yeah there's nothing like sad. walking to celebrate <laughs> uh, and then had the odd glass or two of um Rather nice wine. It did. Which is more celebratory. Yeah, I think it came away from the whole weekend with, with a couple of blisters and <laughs> they were totally, big blisters. a totally deserved hangover, <laughs> I think would be, would be the first way of saying it. Um, but that Canon Segur 2001 was really good, wasn't it? Are you it? showing off now? Well, no. It I, was but very it, it nice. It was just a lovely, lovely, well, we don't drink much claret. No. And it's not the fanciest of clarets, but it, it was, was just so, so lovely. And it was brilliant with that. What was it? The um, How do we describe the- it? Duck. Duck and truffle, truffle sort of ravioli, yeah. Open yeah. ravioli. It was good, wasn't it? Even it though gorgeous. I very immodestly say so myself. <laughs> yeah, thank you for giving that. Um, and, and actually, that's reminded me, on the subject of, of food and wine, wasn't there something that you wanted to say uh, at this point before we got started? Yes, yeah, there was indeed. Um, so let me find it. Um, in our last episode, we asked to hear your weirdest food and wine <laughs> matches, didn't we? This, this is on the basis of, of, of us sort of being blown away by the combination of ice wine cuvee things, mm. wasn't it, with, with sweet chilli crisps, yeah. which was a new one yeah. on us. Yeah. Um, Even McLean I was slightly blown introduces away. Introduces the concept of crisps, <laughs> matching crisps with wine. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure this was necessarily our wisest question to ask on social media ever, but thank you for your responses, everyone. We've had some brilliant ones. Uh, can't mention them all here, but the ones that spring to mind, um, if, if you do... Having, uh, check out our Instagram or Twitter if you want to see more. But the ones that sort of spring to mind were uh, Decent Prosecco and Twiglets. 
Love it. Thanks, Hannah. Love it. Uh, Frazzles and Amontillado <laughs> from Bob. Continuing the theme, see where he's going. Um, There's a lot of crisps involved, actually. Rod Smith, there? our fellow mastermind, said Zweigelt and Zebra. I'm, I'm not even going to go into that. Um, then we had peanut butter and salad cream on toast with Australian Chardonnay. Do you know what? That is one that if I wasn't allergic to peanut butter, which sadly I am, I'd actually like to try. Yeah, on the subject of intolerance. I think it sounds um, terrible, but I think it probably, gonna, well, probably would be rather I, I, lovely. I, 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 uh, I don't, I'm not going to thank you, Clive, for that one. I just think it's, it's um, yeah, I can't, I can't even see it. <laughs> anyway, for the winner was definitely Jelly Deals and L'Encent Champagne. Uh, it's a regular in our house. Thanks, thanks Jelly Ian. Deals. Um, he says, ideally in a pub in the Isle of Dogs with a West Ham legend. That sounds but perfect, But that's another story. It? The mind boggles. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a feeling you actually said that you would be up for trying all suggestions, yeah. um, didn't you? Did I? Well done. Did well I? done. I'll, I'll grab Stop buying some jelly deals. <laughs> Anybody know where I get those from? Anyway, no, uh, let's let's keep this let's keep those suggestions coming in because they are lots of fun and Pete might actually have to try them. Uh, Woohoo! Mm, yes, moving swiftly on. Um we've got some 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 pretty meaty content to sink our teeth into now, haven't we? Um, we're going to be looking into the subject of um, adverse reactions to wine, clearing up um, I guess a few misconceptions mm-hmm. uh, and identifying a, a, a potentially positive way forward would be yeah what yeah saying. so let's so let's let's start off with a few facts and figures it's mm. estimated that as much as 10 percent of the population suffer adverse reactions to wine and mm. uh, now i think we probably all know the symptoms but they range from mildly uncomfortable to seriously painful and we're talking headaches migraines rashes palpitations nausea now if you don't personally suffer you know you're probably still likely to know someone who does mm. and it's not only painful but also frustrating. I think partly because there's there's so little clarity on the issue, um, but also because more importantly, it denies these people just the, the simple basic pleasure of enjoying wine without having to worry about what the reaction is going to be. Mm, mm, yeah. And, and, and for some people, it means they have to avoid wine completely, doesn't it? Which it does, I think is, yeah. Which is, is yeah. unfair. And, and more than that, you know, I think sufferers are often slightly sort of fobbed off aren't they yeah with you know maybe slightly patronizing reactions sometimes like you know oh it's just down to the alcohol dear you, you drank know. too much exactly which is oh. um or you know it's easy to blame the easy targets like sulfur or sulfites because that's commonly the only sort of visible health warning on the label on a label of wine yeah it? and we're going to come on to sulfites aren't we in a mm. bit but i think it's important to say at this point that clinical studies have shown that reactions to sulfites are almost exclusively respiratory um, and they actually only affect about three to ten percent of the acute asthmatic population. So in reality, a very, very small number of people, most of whom are probably already hyper aware of the issue because this is a proper allergy as opposed to an intolerance, which is what we're mainly talking about mm, in this mm. episode. That's an important um, distinction to make. It is. So, so and, and, and it's an Allergy that if you suffer from it can have yeah. very serious consequences, yeah. and which is why we've got the health warning on yeah. wine yeah. labels, and, and it's necessary. Yeah. But I think some people misconstrue that health warning and, and yeah. blame sulfur or sulfites for things. But you know, just to put things in context, wine is actually far lower in sulfites than many common food or drinks, like uh, dried fruit, mm-hmm. bag salad, 
what is it fruit juices coca-cola's famously high in it isn't it like yeah, charcuterie yeah there's lots of there's lots of stuff that's high in sulfur so it's quite a long list so the chances are if you don't have adverse reactions to those which most of us don't the likelihood is that sulfites aren't the main culprit no no but this is where it gets interesting mm-hmm. isn't it because sometimes when people do suffer from adverse reactions they're recommended low sulfur or natural wines as a potential way around the problem or as, I don't know, somehow being better for you. Mm-hmm. But, get this, what if the opposite were actually true? That sulfur is actually the unsung hero of the piece and there's another culprit to blame? More tantalising even than that, what if concerted action on this front could help many wine drinkers to enjoy wine without having to worry about all those side effects. Mm. So this is where Sophie Parker-Thompson's research comes in. Um, It's work that she produced en route to becoming a newly minted master of wine. Mm -hmm. So we should start by saying... (laughs) Congratulations, Sophie. (laughs) Exactly. Well done, Sophie. Brilliant, brilliant. So so, so in Sophie's Master of Wine research paper, she investigates something called biogenic amines, which she describes as one of the primary agents for the more common adverse reactions. Uh, if you're not familiar with biogenic amines, which we certainly weren't until we we started to do all, all this research, uh, you're not alone. Um, histamine is perhaps the best known biogenic amine, but even then, what do we really know about histamine? Mm. Um, I, I think as it happens, biogenic amines are all around us and inside us. Our body needs them to function, mm. but the problems start when there's too much of them or our body just can't get rid of them fast enough. Mm. Now, they they naturally occur in wine, but also in many other foods. And they can have a big impact not only on the quality of the product, but also on our health. And what's more, their impact is made even worse by the alcohol in wine. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a key point. Isn't Complicated, it? So, isn't it? I think, I think um, <laughs> <laughs> one of Sophie's key points, really, basically, is that we we just need to talk about biogenic amines more. We need to be more aware of the issue. And really interestingly, she's calling for a new category of wines that are low in biogenic amines to be created, so that you know people who suffer adverse reactions can easily find and buy them. I mean, she compares it to sort mm-hmm. of vegan uh, wines yeah. or other things like that. You know, she describes the logic for creating this new category as compelling. Um, She writes, the wine industry should be very concerned about biogenic amines in wine. And she says it needs to act on this issue. She also suggests in her paper that wines that are dangerously high in biogenic amine levels should carry a warning. Yeah. And the kind of wines that are likely to have um, high levels of biogenic amines are those which have either poor winemaking hygiene and or low or poor sulfite usage, mm-hmm. which might actually include many of the so-called natural or low sulfur wines. Mm-hmm. Um, she she identifies judicious and timely use of sulfur dioxide as the fundamental tool to control biogenic amines in wine. I am very aware that this is a lot to take in and digest. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. what we're going to do is we're going to dive into an interview with Sophie, um, then take a breath, chew the cud, as it were. Um, and we're also going to get a very brief view then from a producer or two of, of low histamine wines. But before we do all of that, it's worth clarifying, I think, without trying to overdo things, worth clarifying a little bit about sulphur yeah. or sulphites. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So so sulphur is a naturally occurring element in the earth. Um, it has many useful properties and it's been used for hundreds of years to preserve, preserve food and, and drink. It used to be called brimstone, didn't it? 
did it. Mm. Brimstone and treacle. Um, so when sulfur is burned in air, it forms sulfur dioxide or SO2. And this is what's primarily used by winemakers to keep wines clean and free from oxidation or unwanted microbes and, and bacteria. Um, a small amount of SO2 is actually produced naturally by yeast during the winemaking process. And there are strict legal limits on how much sulphur dioxide is allowed in wine. Yeah, Sophie does refer to sulphites or sulphur dioxide as SO2 in the interview, so that's worth being aware of. Her paper, paper identified timely SO2 additions as critical to ensuring low biogenic amine levels in wine, uh, particularly additions before fermentation. So that's quite early on in the process. Uh, this, you know, in order to, to control the bacteria that are critical to the production of biogenic amines right the way through the winemaking process. So Sophie was speaking from Blenheim mm. in Marlborough, New Sunny Zealand. Blenheim, which oh. we know and love. Oh. <laughs> we do, we do. Now she lives there with her husband, winemaker Matt Thompson. Matt and Sophie run a small wine company called Blank Canvas, producing fantastic small batch wines from around New Zealand. And they also have a, a wine consultancy company both domestically and internationally. So it is non-stop for Sophie and uh, and fresh off the back of the euphoria of becoming an MW, uh, they are heading straight into harvest. Yes, hopefully they? they'll be catching up with the podcast, you know, on their, while they're, while they're out, <laughs> oh, in, the, out in the fields. Out there uh, pruning vines. Great, uh, I started by asking Sophie to give us a, a layperson's summary of her research paper, um, which was entitled, What is the relationship between the use of sulfur dioxide and biogenic amine levels in wine? Biogenic amines are important and, and interesting, I think, because their presence in food and beverages can indicate that there's been a, a, there's a quality issue, um, but they can also have potential health impacts on humans when high amounts are concerned. Um, but what is very interesting is that they also regulate physiological function in humans, so they're kind of ordinarily already present in our bodies, but um, it's only when they get above a basal threshold that they can cause these adverse reactions, um, mm. which are quite broad in what they, uh, what the effects are. So they can be everything from headaches and migraines through to nausea and hot flushes and red rashes and heart palpitations and kind of the list goes on. Um, so they have this, you know, both, both essential and potentially detrimental to health function to them. These are important um things biogenic I mean that they are important things but when they're in excess they can cause these adverse reactions so perhaps that's a good place to start you've listed a few of them the issue of wine intolerances in general because that's a it's quite a serious issue and a frustrating issue for lots of people isn't it yes it is so yeah by by that association my paper did kind of have a broader context of wine intolerance in the background and yeah there is seems to be kind of a lot of mystery that surrounds it because I mean you think about wine it's a very complex product you know there's over 600 identified components of it um, yeah, um so there's a you know potentially a lot of different things that can cause uh, intolerance in mm. consumers and um, this is quite, I guess the where the frustration comes in because sometimes it's not readily identifiable exactly what is causing those per people's reactions and, and it depends from individual to individual but what I did find quite remarkable was that yeah, just the wine the wine intolerance symptoms um, mirrored that of biogenic amine toxicity. And that's very, very interesting, uh, isn't it? Because 
we often find that sulfites or sulfur dioxide, which we will come on to talk about in a minute, they, they are often blamed for these adverse reactions often, aren't they? But what you start off by saying in your paper is that actually the reactions to sulfites are probably likely to be very different from the, ra- the range of reactions which you detailed, which are much more commonly associated to biogenic amines. Can you just go into that in, in a bit more detail? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, the, the short answer is that, you know, I, I think it's unfair to be blaming um, sulfur dioxide or sulfites for adverse reactions in terms of wine intolerance, um, but, it is, but it is more complicated than that. So there is a small percentage of the acute asthmatic population, and we're talking about from the papers that um, all the literature that's out there, it's between a three to 10% of those that acute asthmatic population. Now that's people who you know, have to carry around an inhaler and a steroid dependent, um, and they know about their sulfite sensitivity. Like they have to avoid all foods that have um, food and beverages that have sulfites um, there. And that's why I think, you know, sulfite labeling is essential because of that reason, because th- these people can experience life-threatening reactions. Um, and so the, the reaction, however, is overwhelmingly respiratory reaction. Um, so, you know, it's, it's anaphylaxis. It's, you know, they it's... Um, requires hospitalization if it's you know if, if exposure occurs um and so you know i think it's unfair just to to pinpoint um an so2 reaction in wine because wine comparatively has far less of um quantities of so2 than some of the other you know popular food items out there um you know orange juice and french fries they all have more and pickled onions i was astounded to see that pickled onions had like that eight thousand parts per million of so2 so you know you don't get people complaining about a massive reaction to sulfites in wine but you know they don't get that they don't complain about a massive reaction to having a dried apricot pickled onions that's uh, dear you know i'm a big fan of pickled onions with my fish and chips actually so i have to keep an eye on that but so but the the symptoms which you were concerned with are um, less in terms of respiratory ones and they're more in terms of the ones which we would probably commonly associate things like headaches or migraines or flushing or nausea those were the ones which which piqued your interest exactly yeah so i kind of thought about it and sort of came up with this phrase the undeserved hangover so it's kind of when you know when you you know when you deserve a hangover because you've enjoyed yourself a little bit too much the night before and had one too many and the alcohol is the is the factor but um the undeserved hangover you've only had maybe one or two glasses of wine and the next morning you wake up with a kind of a crushing headache or you know feel feel ill or you know it's, it's also things like congestion can also be um nasal congestion can also be a a symptom of biogenic amine toxicity. And I think everyone, you know, it's amazing who you speak to everyone, either it's themselves or they know of someone mm, yes. who has had um, that kind of reaction yeah. to wines and it's often yeah. annoying. It is very frustrating, isn't it? So um, let's come on then to 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 these biogenic amines. Um, if you could just very briefly, without going into too much detail, um, go explain what they are and, and how they're produced. Yeah, sure. So... Essentially, biogenic amines are produced by bacteria. You need three prerequisites, though, for, for biogenic amine formation. So it's quite, it's quite. if you distill it down, you've got an amino acid. The bacteria comes along and it will convert, you know, decarboxylate will just convert the amino acid into the biogenic amine. So all it's doing is basically dropping the acid group, the carboxyl group, off the amino acid, and it turns it into an amine. So... 
one of the things that you know you might not have heard of biogenic amines per se but you probably would have heard of histamine histamine is one of the the key biogenic amines that can cause these um, reactions in people so you the three prerequisites are you need the, the precursor the amino acid you need the micro uh, the microbe or the the specific bacteria that's capable of changing the amino acid into the biogenic amine and then you need conditions that are favorable to bacterial growth so you need things like high ph or a low so2 environment um so yeah so things that um because those biogenic amines are bacterially formed um <laughs> they're frequently found in, in food and beverages which have had bacteria involved in their manufacturing whether intentionally or not so you know there's it's not just wine that we're talking about um there's also biogenic amines are found in you know beer chocolate um fish products meats you know all sorts of things and cheese as well um all in different different levels uh so it's yeah. um they're, they're all around us <laughs> yeah um, and, and so why are they important? They're important because some people um, have more of an issue breaking them down, getting rid of them, um, and, and, and that's why, and then they can cause these, these adverse reactions, these, this, this toxicity. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're, so they're really important in terms of wine because um, we as humans possess a, a, an enzyme, which is a, a, a diamine oxidase, just an, an enzyme. We've got lots of them. And this specific one um, detoxifies biogenic amines. So, you know, normally the bodily function will just, you know, our body will cleanse, you know, and detoxify the, anything that's coming in. So biogenic amines are one of them. Um, but with wine, there's um, obviously alcohol is a key component of that. And mm. both alcohol and acetaldehyde, um, inhibit that enzyme from actually functioning properly. So if you, if you, um, that that is that detoxifying function is, is impaired when alcohol is involved, and so that's why it's even more significant um, in terms of wine because the toxic effects can be amplified. So it's like a double whammy. You've got the, the you've got these amines coming in, the biogenic amines, and then ethanol and acetaldehyde, which is preventing uh, the body from getting rid of them. So in your paper, you, you say um, neither the industry nor consumers are aware of the relevance of biogenic amines to health or product quality, but that the wine industry should be very concerned about biogenic amines in wine. Why should they be important to winemakers? I think we've touched on that a little bit, but what more importantly can winemakers do about them and I think this is getting onto the heart of your research paper a bit more. Exactly yeah so I think uh, we're very lucky really as an industry to be making a product that is actually pretty hostile to the most nasty of bacteria you think about poultry has campylobacter and meat has you know listeria risks etc so put in perspective wine is actually a relatively safe product but it's not to say that some of the bacteria that can be found in wine uh, can't produce toxins so it, it, these are, it shouldn't be ignored. There's, there's stacks of research um, out there about biogenic amines and um, biogenic amines specifically in wine and the different winemaking techniques that um, can cause their accumulation in wine. Um, but this, yeah, so this, this research was quite fascinating because the specific relationship between SO2 and its use and application in the cellar had not been studied with resulting biogenic amine levels and wine. So it had always you know, been loosely kind of um, mentioned as, as a factor. But um, I think in the context of where we are at in the wine industry right now, there is a, a trend toward 
um, no or low SO2 wines. And uh, then, you know, I think we need to be looking closer into this because that potentially um, what my data shows is that um, those wines that have not had SO2 or have not had pre-fermentation SO2 addition, so at juice stage, um, those wines do carry a much higher risk of having elevated and sometimes quite toxic levels of biogenic amines. So that's why we can't ignore this issue as an industry because we're potentially putting consumers' health at, at risk. Um, it's, and it's, you know, it's some individuals more than others because obviously it depends on the individual sensitivity of, the, of, of that person. So this is a really, really important point, uh, as you say, you know, at the moment in wine, there's a big trend for so-called natural wines or, or low sulfur wines. Um, sometimes even recommended if people have adverse reactions, people can say, well, well try, try a natural wine or, or a low sulfur dioxide wine. But what you're saying in your research paper is actually it could be completely the opposite. If if it is indeed biotinic amines causing these adverse reactions like a really bad headache, actually you need to choose a wine which sulfur uh, dioxide or sulfites has been used properly in at uh, slightly higher levels so that then the toxicity, those levels of those biodynamic amines are reduced and they're, and they're frankly safer. Yeah, well, so, you know, it's, it is difficult because I think, you know, the natural wine movement isn't united on when and how much SO2 should be added. And so as, a, as, a, as such a thing, you, you can't kind of categorically say that all natural wines will have issues yeah. with high biogenic amines. But I would take issue with people who say that because they haven't had haven't added SO2, that it will in any way be better for you because, you know, that you're correct. My research would indicate that, in fact, the contrary could be true. Um, so, you know, it's just the, the demonization of SO2 just isn't supported by the medical and scientific research that's out there. Um, but I would like to think that people, you know, will look at my research with an open mind and there just may be some very small adjustments that people need to make in winemaking in this regard to actually, you know, significantly change the outcome in terms of biogenic amine levels. So I'm not talking about wholesale change. It's just what the research and the data showed is that just, a, you know, a relatively small amount of SO2 added at juice stage, just, you know, 30, 30 parts per million equivalent um, was enough to just knock out the, 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 the bacteria that were, you know, the most prolific BA producers, um, and, and to ensure that those those um, bacteria mm. didn't have the opportunity to create those biogenic amines later down sure. the track. So you're not trying out, you're not setting out to be deliberately provocative. What you're trying to do is put the, the data out there and say we need to be informed. And equally, there are increasingly polarized positions in in the wine trade and, and among producers, and say, listen, here here are some facts, and, and we need to be aware of these things, which I think is 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 absolutely. Fair enough. So in your paper, um, you say the industry needs to act on the issue of biogenic amines. What do you mean by that? Um, I just think it's, it's about awareness, Peter. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we just we can't be ignoring this um, now. And I think, you know, everyone's has a kind of both a, there's a moral and also a potentially a legal duty um, to be ensuring that the wines that people are, are putting out on the shelf for consumers to buy and consume are actually not going to cause them, um, you know, untoward or uh, um, you know, adverse effects. There's currently no legal regulation regarding biogenic amine levels in wines. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Do, do you think there should be? Um, why, why, why is that in the first place? And do you think there should be? I just think it's, it's, it's difficult to police, but also I think there's already so many hurdles and hoops for the wine industry in different markets. So I think introducing more regulation 
would be very anti-productive and is not necessarily the answer. Um, so I think instead of perhaps a, instead of a stick, perhaps having more of like a carrot where producers could have their wines analysed for biogenic amines and show that they are low and therefore that they're going to be safer for those who have intolerance in this area. I do believe that there is an opportunity for a group of producers to, you know, band together and, you know, be... Um, be you know just just getting their wines analyzed in a lab and you know having certain limits that must be under and then they could say that that wine is um is low in biogenic amines and it could potentially become a new a new category um but yeah it's it's, there's definitely scope for investigating and exploring that further and i love that i think this is really really interesting i like the carrot approach as opposed to the stick um so you know i think it's and you know it's fair to say in the paper you, you effectively call for uh, a creation of this new category of wine and this is low biogenic amine or low histamine or whatever it is uh, category of wine um, and I think it's brilliant that this would be something that people could look out for who have these issues because as we said it's a really serious issue for them but there are challenges to making that sort of thing work aren't there could you do you see an easy way to make that happen yeah so um, there is current issue with um stating that a wine is low in histamine because it actually under the current legislation kind of universally it, it is constituted as a health claim um but i think there's you know potentially a way is, is if, if there was a certifying body or a group of you know a, a charter that um people could be, then be a part of and and you know just then the only kind of process that would need to be fulfilled is just that lab analysis so it's quite a, a theoretically simple process um and but it would just be involved uh, you know a lot of education involved in that and kind of educating consumers about what biogenic amines are and what this potentially means but you know so it's, it's it would take a take a unified movement from um the industry to to get that going but i think that's the, the way to do it so it could just be a little icon that says you know low 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 amine wine or low biogenic amine wine which i think would be really helpful for people if people do have these adverse reactions um of the kind you described and this could be caused by by amines or biogenic amines what style of wine would you recommend they go for in the meantime to be safe <laughs> i'm gonna look really biased here but funnily enough obviously my <laughs> research was looking at uh Sauvignon Blanc, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, because obviously that's what I had available. But I also chose it because it did have that really wide range of uh, winemaking styles, so from you know the classic Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc style, inoculated and you know tank fermented, all the way through to kind of the, the now the zero SO two edition skins fermented kind of alternative wine. So, um, but yeah, as, as the, my data shows that that Marlborough classic style, just the classic Sauvignon Blanc style where it's, you know, all about that fresh fruit purity, et cetera. Um, They always have SO2 added in the field, you know, in the vineyard or at juice stage. Um, So all those styles did show, uh, were low in the data. Mm. So I'd be confident that, you know, um, anything that you know has been processed, you know, quickly to retain um, fruit purity. So things like Riesling, would be as well but yeah it's definitely something that would warrant further research because obviously mine was very limited in its scope um and i could only focus on one thing but i think you know aside from us quizzing the winemaker if they've added so to juice stage um <laughs> you can be kind of you know, reasonably yeah. confident that things like you know classic sauvignon and riesling would would be um very low that's absolutely fascinating um sophie parker thompson thank you very much indeed for your time thank you peter
Pleasure. Thanks. So Sophie does recognise that she may look a little self-interested given she makes and sells New Zealand's only on Blanc yeah. in saying that this style is likely to have the, the lower levels of biogenic animals. Yeah, fair enough. But I think it's also fair to say that, that you know, what she had available to study, what was that? Um, mm. And it's quite, it's necessarily quite a narrow focus in the MW research paper. It's a short research paper. Um, and, you know, also fair to say there really are quite a big variety of winemaking styles for Kiwi Sauvignon Blanc these days. So in that sense, it's also a very valid Subject matter. Yeah. Gen- I mean, generally speaking, though, just to clarify, crisp, fresh, young whites are probably the best to go for in terms of low bi- biogenic amine levels. Yeah, I think so. They? I think that's what came through, isn't it? You know, crisp, fresh whites will often tend to have lower biogenic amine levels, uh, whereas reds and oak aged whites that have done malolactic fermentation will tend to have higher. Uh, levels of biogenic amines um but uh, you know isn't it that's already a generalization because you know if you use proper amounts of sulfur dioxide as sophie says to control the bacteria that produce biogenic amines especially during alcoholic but mainly during malolactic fermentation you know even red wines can have moderate or relatively low levels of, of biogenic amines so mm. it's not you know mm. that's to that's to generalize but i think people you know people who suffer adverse reactions of this kind you know headaches nausea mm. rashes congestion yeah. heart palpitations whatever should actually be a bit wary of low sulfur or or natural wines yeah again it's, it's hard Just to generalize those people it. yeah yeah, yeah ab- absolutely um because you've got to be cautious don't you and i think that's a, it's a fair enough point to flag up um you know but on the basis of sophie's research it, it's a reasonable precaution um i think we should also add at the point that the so-called clean wine is mm. uh, how to say it. it's, it's poorly defined i it think is, was actually yeah. sophie's phrase yeah um, and it certainly doesn't indicate a wine that's low in biogenic amines yeah it's not really yeah. we're not really no. sure what exactly but but mean, just but, just move on a bit there are yeah. other intolerances aren't there of course there are yeah there's um aldh2 deficiency is one of the more sort of famous ones isn't it that's where people lack the enzyme to detoxify acetaldehyde uh, it's often a problem for people of asian ancestry and often sort of manifests itself as as flushing or rashes doesn't yeah, it? yeah yeah and then there's Intolerance to flavonoid or, or tannins yeah. in wine, which can produce headaches. Yeah, yeah, sort of free phenols, yes. Um, so, you know, there's a number of potential causes for, for these reactions. It's not just biogenic amines. But Sophie did say she thought that biogenic amines were responsible for a large chunk of wine intolerance. So if you do have these issues, there's a good chance it might be down to this. Yeah, yeah. But, but another, actually, although another really important thing to add is just how personal and variable yeah, these issues yeah, can that's, be. That's really you know, important to say. Because yeah. you know, our body's ability to process and, and de- detoxify biogenic amines is determined by genetics, but it's also affected by loads of other things, mm. which is why I think this is also difficult to regulate. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. for example, the state of your your gut health, your or, or gastrointestinal conditions. Or your... I have fine conditions. <laughs> Gastrointestinal no, conditions. Um, or your hormone levels, which mm. naturally fluctuate. So it may be, especially for women, it's more of a problem at certain times than others. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. actually, biogenic amines like histamine are thought to affect women in middle age more than other groups. Yeah. Um, yeah. It can also be affected by medication like painkillers or antidepressants mm. or simply by stress. Yeah. Or yeah. what you're eating with the wine. Yeah, 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 that's an interesting one too, Which isn't it? It's a really you know, interesting um, one. I, I, I find it, you know, looking into this a bit, a really quite distressing that cheese, <laughs> you know, especially the long mature stuff, can be really high in biotinic amines. Mm, mm. You know, so it's not just what's in the wine, 
but also what's in the cheese and then the alcohol acetaldehyde in the wine, which make the job even more difficult for your body. I mean, it's a, yeah. a big kind yeah. of dump of lots of different stuff, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but you're yeah, so right. It yeah. is very personal. It is. So so just out of interest, the foods that can be high in biogenic amines like histamine are... This is fascinating. This is interesting, isn't it? Things, so isn't these it? are the foods that can yeah. be high in biogenic amines. You've got cheese, tomatoes, aubergine, spinach, kiwis, strawberries, butter, mackerel, tuna, cured meats, chocolate, vinegar, miso, soy. Can you stop? Can and you, pickles. Can you, can you just stop? It's just a stop. long list. Just stop. <laughs> it's a long They're all my favourite things as well. I'm sorry about that. I think a lot of people say there's a lot of nice stuff in there. <laughs> but some of the things that, if you like these, some of the things that can act as natural antihistamines, for example, mm. are watercress, onions, apples, blueberries, fresh herbs like tarragon and chamomile. Mm. Who would have known? Mm. Uh, and fresh ginger or turmeric, um, and also mm. vitamin C and D. Mm, interesting. I mean, obviously, not not all of us suffer from 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 this issue, but no. it's really interesting to be aware of that actually. And yeah, and so, maybe some of us suffer very mildly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you can now yeah. avoid yeah. certain things. But I've, I've, yeah, yeah. But I, so, so what you're saying is, I've got to basically chew on some fresh ginger or onions while while I'm drinking my wine. Or you, as long as your onions aren't pickled, <laughs> you can be pickled, but not the onions. <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's fine <laughs> um yeah no i think you're right it's, it's so important to stress how personal and variable these things can be uh and if you do have serious issues you really have to speak to a doctor or a nutritionist because of course we are neither yeah. um you know actually but the idea of also keeping a food and wine diary to help you identify what the problems are is is, is potentially really useful but you you also asked sophie i think didn't you about concentration levels of biogenic amines in wine because some mm. of the literature or the studies do suggest that levels are generally too low in wine to be yeah. of any any issue. Yeah, no, this was a re- this was a really interesting point. Um, and she said that many of the clinical studies which back up that view are problematic for her. Um, you know, one issue she said was that they worked a lot of them worked with unrealistically low doses of wine in the study, so people were given 125 milliliters of wine. Who would ever only drink that much? <laughs> You know, another Seriously. was that they tended to focus only on histamine, um, but that other biogenic amines can be present in wine. Things like tyramine, putrescine, cadaverine. You know, see, um, Sophie described those days. The, the, the names. names they have as charming. Which <laughs> are um, but but these other biogenic amines that can be in wine have co-potentiating effects, which means basically the overall toxicity will be amplified so they have a when you of, put the two together exactly um and and she said also that the studies you know these kind of studies have used conventionally made wines not wines that are kind of no or low so2 wines which of course are much more prevalent recently because they've come become much more popular so for those reasons yeah. this sort of level and also she shows in a study that actually even in very low very low levels these things biogenic amines can cause big reactions if you're intolerant yeah. yeah now now i think maybe turning away from the the scientific world into the real world for a moment uh we were interested weren't we to find out what was already out there in terms of wines that are low in biogenic mm. amines. Mm. Um, and we did find a few people. It took quite a bit mm. of digging. Uh, it's not obvious, is it? Um, and they are mainly focused, these these producers, on making wines that they define as low histamine wines. Yeah, yeah. Not we managed the other to find a few, didn't biogenic we? Amines. We, we didn't actually manage to get hold of any, any of the wines to try as of yet. We will be doing that um, and reporting back. But, you know, often these were winemakers who'd had a family member uh, who'd had adverse reactions, so they'd started to look into to it and realised there was a gap in the market. Um, generally speaking, you know, the, the, these producers tried 
to focus uh, in terms of how to make low histamine wines. They tried to focus on sort of working clean, making sure the grapes came into the winery without without rot or spoilage or fermenting berries, and then just being clean using sulfur dioxide and avoiding malolactic fermentation, things like that, for example. It's yeah. not rocket science. Now, what, one thing we, we did want to ask about was marketing and selling these wines, which is, as you say, it's, it's, it's a potentially tricky area because according to Sophie, it can be illegal to make health claims about wine. So one producer we spoke to was Weingut Stefan Kuntz in the Pfalz in Germany, who make a, a range of low histamine wines. And I asked dad Stefan and son Eli if they'd had issues. We, we have uh, problems with the law uh, when we start with the histamine wines, because uh, some um, guys in uh, Austria who begins with uh, the histamine uh, producing histamine free producing but it's not histamine free producing it's just histamine low producing the government comes to us very uh, strictly um, control from all and uh, we didn't um, yeah you're not allowed to label it on the bottle itself you can you can advertise it in the internet or on your flyers or whatever, but it's not allowed to put it on the bottle itself. Low histamine. Yeah, low yes. histamine, exactly. So on your bottles of wine that are low histamine, you can't put anything to say they are? Yes, right. Gosh, that's difficult, isn't it? Do, do you think there should be a, an international, cat- never mind just in Germany, but an international category with accepted standards that would be across the world and then people could use that to market and, and sell their wines as low histamine. Yeah, of course, it would make it a lot easier, not only for the winemakers, also for the consumers. If you go into the supermarket and maybe have an intolerance with uh, histamine or whatever, biogenic amine, it would be way easier for you to, to buy a, histamine, a low histamine wine. Now, they suggested working with the OIV, the mm. International Wine Organization, mm. to try to establish rules and parameters, which which I think seems yeah, a good yeah. idea. Yeah, and it's I also something it's that Sophie suggests. Yeah. Um, but it, it does seem as if there needs to be more momentum and support to, to really get this idea of low yeah. histamine wines off yeah. the ground. Well, and, and, and maybe that needs to come from, from wine drinkers and from people who, who, who do suffer from these issues, but also probably people like us who don't suffer, but actually we know how helpful this would be. Mm. Um, they did add, didn't they, that, that, that I think it was, was it Stefan's phrase, that, that um, low histamine wine production is still in kindergarten, <laughs> which is a lovely turn of phrase. And it kind of yeah, sums things up a little go. bit. There's a long way to go, but we've got to start somewhere. And I think this awareness, what Sophie talks about, is really, really important. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, because there are so many good reasons for doing this. Yeah, You know, yeah, so many no, people that absolutely, wine can reach. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, not, not uh, so, I, yeah, I also spoke to um, Sebastiano Ramello, a wine consultant based in Piedmont in Italy, who has uh, developed low histamine wines with a local producer, Velio. And he's trying to make this, you know, an international effort. Mm -hmm. I asked him what he thought the future for low histamine wines might be. And this was his answer. For my opinion, because I say that I'm international wine consultant. Normally, I I go everywhere in the world and the wine. I know a little bit everything, not only about uh, the the content of the bottle, but also the political of wine. But I think uh, 
that our research is one of the most interesting research in the wine in the last 50 years, because nobody before it was thinking about food intolerant in the wine, but wine is a food. It's just a liquid food, uh, the same characteristic of the solid food. In the moment that you think about that, you understand that it can be part also of a food intolerant. Now, we are focusing the histamine, but probably there are also some other kind of we can say thinking of problem inside as the food as all uh, kind of uh, food example in the past my grandfather my father everybody in my territory was drinking wine for keep energy not just for uh, I guess smelling or tasting the wine I know it was really part of the food so he's registered low histamine as a brand mm. which is interesting yeah, it's an interesting approach isn't it it yeah. is and he he's keen to get people talking about what what he feels is a subject that many people just aren't very aware of yeah, i mean yeah, i'm sure yeah, that's yeah, right yeah. isn't and, it and, and that's what we're doing here wine blast you know we aim to please <laughs> get um, talking <laughs> one last thing to mention um by way of intriguing tidbit is that sebastian is UK importer mentioned something to us, didn't they? They'd come across, yeah. which which was that recently they've had people coming to them because they've developed histamine issues uh, or, or adverse reactions to wine as a result of long COVID. Um, so their G- GPs have prescribed low histamine diets. So, yeah, so this this really, really did grab our attention, didn't <laughs> yeah. it? I mean, I mean, we've all probably seen a fair few press reports of how COVID and long COVID is affecting not just the lungs, but also all kinds of other organs and systems in the body. And of course, we all know about the loss of smell and taste, which is terrifying for <laughs> for us wine lovers. Um, I mean, I think I think. Doctors and researchers are still working on it, but even things like type 1 diabetes are apparently being triggered by COVID or psoriasis, um, rheumatoid arthritis. Essentially, in some cases, the immune system simply malfunctioning. Mm. So some of these histamine intolerances could be a potential side effect of COVID. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's too I early think. to say on the basis of just a few people, but but it's, it's sort it's of worth an, looking at, though, isn't it? isn't it, at this stage? But it is interesting. And, and you know, perhaps in time it might add more impetus to the argument for a category of low histamine or, or low amine wine. You know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we? yeah. Who knows? But anyway, um, it was worth mentioning. And I think um, now it's time to wrap up. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on this deep dive into the undeserved hangover. I think my head hurts just from <laughs> the deep dive never mind any i haven't had a drop of wine um here's to light at the end of the tunnel i guess for those who suffer from from adverse reactions to wine i get the feeling this this story has a long way to run yet but we will certainly keep you posted with the latest developments we'll also put references for further reading on our show notes at susieandpeter.com as well as a link to sophie's research paper Uh, please do leave an enthusiastic rating or review if, if you've enjoyed this episode and here's wishing you many glasses full of deliciousness and entirely free of adverse reactions. Cheers.